This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressure to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, welcome to Guitar Talk, everybody. I'm your host, Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we get started, make sure you're going to guitartalkofficial.com. And signing up for our uh, website and our email blast. You know, we just started sending out an email blast this month, starting in April. And so it's basically an outline of everything that's going on in Guitar Talk, for the most part, through the entire month. So you get to see who all the guests are on my podcast, as well as Mountain City Rock Radio, the show I do in Montreal, along with what videos we're going to release on Guitar Talk TV, plus, you know, plus more. So uh, go on over there, guitartalkofficial.com, and sign up. Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer on this episode that I'm about to play. Um, well, I'm, we're not exactly sure why, but we had some issues with audio on my end during the interview. Um you know, it doubles for some odd reason. It echoed, and uh, oh well, it's it's not so bad because you know my guest is doing the majority of the talking, so it's going to be okay. But I want to apologize ahead of time. There is no way to correct this, and there is no way to reschedule this interview with Marty. So, uh, but his stuff sounds great. So you'll be able to hear the question. It's mostly him talking anyway. So we'll be good. Um, but just so you know, today, Marty Friedman is joining us all the way from Japan. That's the thing that's ironic is, is that he, you know, is joining us from Japan and his audio was perfect. And for some odd reason, mine was all, you know, effed up. So anyway, but it's a great interview. He's got a new album out. It's called Tokyo Jukebox 3. It's the third album in a trilogy of the Tokyo Jukeboxes. Basically what it is is Marty Friedman, you know, lives in Japan, loves traditional Japanese music and decided to do um, his version of those songs, his interpretation, I should say, of those songs, some of those traditional Japanese songs. And so that's what Tokyo Jukebox is. So Tokyo Jukebox 3 is released now in the United States. It just, you know, just within the last week or so. So uh, it's fresh on the market. So you're going to want to go to MartyFriedman.com and grab a copy of that as well as, you know, make sure it's on your playlist on all your streaming services that you belong to. I'm not going to say no more. We're going to jump right into this. This is a really cool interview, especially for you guitar players out there. Uh, You know, Marty, he's a beast. So, uh, you know, it was an absolute pleasure talking to him. So here we go. This is Marty Friedman right here on Guitar Talk with me, Jimmy Warren. Yeah, yeah, you're in Japan. That's right. You've been there, You've been there since the early 2000s, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, 
I'm familiar, I'm familiar with, with your plan. You're an amazing, You're an amazing player, player for sure, but I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about history. your history, personal, personal history. So do you mind so telling me how you ended up in Japan? Yeah, well, um, I've been touring Japan many times, almost every year, um, for several years before I decided to move here. And um, at that time, every time I'd come to Japan, I would discover new music that I liked more and more Japanese music. And then it came just to a point where that's all I was listening to all the time. So it really was kind of like, well, I want to be in the place where they make this music. I want to be a part of this domestic music scene. So uh, it was just that simple. Just moving here was the only way to really become a part of the domestic Japanese music scene. So uh, that's what basically made the decision. It was just the music that I wanted to make was here. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So the concept of the album, the Tokyo Jukebox, is your interpretation of their music. Yeah, it's... um. All the songs on the album are songs that are very, very well known <clears throat> here in Japan, but probably completely unknown outside of Japan. So uh, in Japan, what's interesting about it is my arrangements are completely, they totally destroy the original versions and then build them back up from the beginning, keeping the essence of the songs that I, at the essence that I like about it and what everybody knows and loves about it, but giving it a whole new, really uh, different interpretation. And so that's interesting for Japanese people, but for people outside of Japan, many people think it's just my new songs that I've written because it winds up sounding kind of like the music on my solo records. And that if that's an entrance for people to find Japanese music, then that's great. You know, they'll listen to it. They say, oh, this is your new song. Well, I'm playing it, but it's actually this original song here in Japan. You should check out the originals. And so it's kind of a way to introduce people around the world to a Japanese music scene that they probably wouldn't find otherwise. Yeah, that, that's yeah, extremely that, cool. So how do the people there take your, take your interpretation of their music? Well, um, oftentimes I'll hear back from the people, the artists who whose songs I'm covering, and um, every up until now, it's all been such a fantastic reaction. They just love the the kind of energy that I put into it. I, there's definitely a lot of heart into it, a lot of love with it. It's not like I didn't like parts of the songs, so I threw them away. It was like I took the parts that I liked about the songs, and I really. Um, extrapolated a lot out of them and, and brought them into focus more than they might have even been in the original. So a lot of the, the artists say that I found things in the songs that they didn't even know was there. And, um, you know, especially people who are into like really wild guitar music, they might not have liked the original song, but now that they hear me play it, they gives them a second, kind of a second opinion on it. And they might like my version. They might rediscover the original version. So it's a. So far, it's just been a wonderful thing, and, and the record company, is, basically, telling me, look, it's about time to do another Tokyo Jukebox record, and um, so I, as long as they keep asking me to do more, I'll be doing it because I, I love to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's really really cool that 
that you're so passionate about their music enough to interpret it, you know what I mean, through your gift, the way that you way you play do you find that in that part of the world that that style of music that uh, instrumental guitar music is more accepted than it is in the united states is it a better market a more accepting market i don't know about that um i don't think instrumental music as a whole is that popular anywhere um However, one thing where I benefit from doing it here is it's just so unusual for me to be this foreign person doing these completely weird arrangements of their songs. It opens a lot of other doors that are not necessarily open to instrumental musicians. Um, a lot of television things happen. A lot of collaborations with the actual artists happen. Um, everything from uh, TV specials to live events to commercials to all kinds of things open up from that. So I don't think what I benefit from is a, a better instrumental market, but I do benefit from other peripheral things. Yeah, I think I read on your website or somewhere that you've had over 700 television appearances. Uh, probably, yeah, much more um, than that now. Yeah, it's it's been a well i've been here like 17 years so um it's kind of a long time but uh it happens it, sometimes uh, i get real busy with tv yeah yeah it is so, it, so uh, uh the the songs, the songs that, you've that you've chosen of course i've never, I've never heard, heard any of them but of course, but of course they're, amazing. they're amazing but the one that, the one that stood out to me the most was the perfect, perfect world. world oh well, that's the one I wrote. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> that's a self-cover. So that's funny that you pick up on that one. I appreciate it, though. Yeah. Well, the lady that you had sing, singing, I mean, she did an amazing job. Oh, she's, she's very talented. She's insane. Um, this song was actually a self-cover. I released it three years ago. It was the theme of a Netflix anime called Be the Beginning. And... I wanted to do one self-cover on the record, so this was the obvious choice because uh, it had vocals and I wanted a song with vocals. And so I got this singer named Alpha Kuhn, who the, the female singer, and I said, okay, well, what's your range? What key do you want to sing it in? And she's, any any key is okay. And I'm like, are you kidding? It's like, oh, no, I'm, any key is okay. So I wanted to try to find out which key sounded the best. I've never heard a claim like that. But we went into the studio and I did little demos in every single key and she sang every single key equally as comfortably, top to bottom. Didn't have any problem with the high, low, the high notes, the low notes. Uh, it was just, my mind was blown. I've never seen a singer who's that comfortable in every range. Um, and that song is definitely not an easy song to sing. It's got a lot of... Uh, deep uh, emotional parts and a huge vocal range so I think that song is really just the tip of the iceberg for her and she's just a super super singer that uh, is really popular in Japan and getting more popularity I just want to see great things happen for her yeah she's extremely talented yeah thanks very very good so this album has released over there is that correct yeah it's, it came out before the rest of the world Right, and so now it's going to be released everywhere else. Right, right, right. 
And so, uh, and so how did you how decide, did you decide which songs to choose out of, out of uh, uh, all the Japanese songs over there that you love? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I first I get a huge list of songs that I think are very, very well known and that I really like. Those are the most basic criteria. I don't want to do some song that I like that nobody knows. Um, I want to do a song that I like that everybody knows. And then I have to like test it out, make a couple demos and get it really under my fingers and see if I can add anything to it. And half the time, it's like, nah, I can't really do anything with this. It doesn't come. I don't hear anything and I don't, I can't add anything. It's already, it's already cooked. But sometimes I start working on a demo and I find a whole new direction for the song. And those are the ones that get chosen. Yeah. Now for you, is every aspect of the song charted out? Or are there aspects of the song where it's just you improvising emotional moment for you? I, I set out sections for improvising. Um, yeah. uh, but like over the course of making demos, and I make literally hundreds of demos for an album. So between starting and the actual real recording in this real studio, I've played the thing so many times and so many different ad-libs and everything that um, it just becomes a performance. I've really got it down by the time I'm really recording it. And there's not a whole lot left to chance. But even then, sometimes very lucky accidents happen. And uh, I'm always open for that. Yeah, so when you take, when you take this thing out in front of an audience, it's pretty much, you've already got it set in stone. So they're getting the version that's on the album as opposed to a, a live version, an improvised live version. Yeah, there's a couple spots, you know, to stretch out and ad lib and make live versions. But uh, for the most part, I mean, you've heard the record. It's very structured out to me the most stealth attack, so to speak. It's everything has a meaning. Everything uh, is where it should be to give you the full effect. It's not a, a random jam in any in any sense of the word. It's everything is a. There's a reason for everything, and the reason, and all of those reasons add up to like you feeling something in certain parts, and um, yeah, live versions things get stretched out a little bit, but on the record, it's super thought out. Yeah. yeah. Let, let, me let, let me ask you a really crazy question, Marty. What do you think, do you are, think a are a couple of things that you did when you were in the formative days of your playing? that have made you the player that you are today? Ah, huh, good question. Um, probably what might sound like a negative has turned into a positive of some sort. Um, I never really learned how to play properly, proper guitar playing. Um, I never really got deeply into reading music. Um, I can read a chord chart pretty well by now. Um, but um, I never learned like there's proper picking things and proper uh, um, ways to practice left hand, right hand things. And there's a lot of things that our people do for the sake of efficiency and accuracy and well-rounded, well-roundedness 
and efficiency, accuracy, and well-roundedness never really came into my radar of what I wanted to do with music. I just wanted to get what was in here out, whatever way I could possibly do it. Um, and as a result, it forced me to experiment with a lot of weird things and a lot of weird fingerings and weird right and left hand coordination things that are very probably uh, unorthodox to a very skilled player. But over the course of making hundreds of albums and all that stuff is really developed into whatever my style is. And so what might have started out of as a negative, I never really listened to teachers much or um, never learned properly, but I always took ideas from people. I was more took ideas from people rather than actually learning. And usually when you take an idea from per someone, you never really get it right. You get yeah. something out of it, but you never really get it right. But that's okay because I got something out of it. And that still continues now. If I hear anything that interests me at all, I immediately soak it up and add it in there. And that's probably why each record of mine sounds evolved. But at the start, it was really... Um, I just was never interested in any kind of structure of people have practice routines and structure and I was never never really did that so that that's probably the biggest influence okay. well you would think you know looking from the outside at you as a player that you would be the exact opposite of that you know what I mean you, 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 you come across as a guy who's well put together as a, as a player and I understand that over time you've developed that but from the outside a guy like me looking in or other people they go this guy really knows you this guy's really you know put together well well I definitely appreciate that and um, it's true I mean there's no question that uh, I am extremely in tune with music in general and especially music that I'm participating in um, I would not be able to compete with uh, someone who's been a country music session player for 20, 30 years. Although I could definitely fake it and get through a session and make everybody happy. But uh, I don't think uh, Brent Mason will have anything to worry about from me anytime soon in the country world. But when it comes to my music, um, I don't think anyone can analyze it nearly as deeply as as I can but this is not only for me this is for anyone who creates their own music and has really done that for any period of time if you create your own music there's really no one who can come that close to it sometimes super super fans can do a wonderful homage to your music um, but even then my music is so eclectic at its core I mean there's a lot of the harmonies are based from doo-wop music and Brian Wilson and Phil Spector mixed with Japanese music and concepts mixed with Iranian violin parts. So it's really hard to be on the outside and analyze it and really get it from the deep inside. Whereas you'll have some great players like Van Halen who have fans who can really, really get the essence of his playing really pretty damn close and sometimes 
I think I wish my playing was a little bit more accessible so more people could get closer to copying it because that's part of the fun for most guitarists. And it's also a part of, uh, you know, spreading out your music. But like, you know, people's taste is what it is. And my personal taste is quite eclectic. So uh, there even my techs, though, who have been with me for so long, um, some kind sometimes can do a pretty good fake of my stuff. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. You know, you know, it's it's weird because I I get to talk to a lot of techs, and most of them say that they can't play at all or they're not very good. But you always find out, you know, that they're pretty damn good. Most of them. <laughs> some are, man. But it freaks me out because some of the best techs I've worked with can barely play. Yeah. Um, but they are super, super great at teching, and they know the finest details, the smallest little tweaks to make things just perfect. And and that's an art, a completely different art, and equally as important in the whole scheme of making music. So, you know, I've had guitar techs who have played very, very well, but are not as good at, you know, doing the tech things as some other techs. So it's kind of like... Uh, you know, you get half of one, half of the other, and very rarely, I've had my my guitar tech in America right now is actually a super guitarist and a super tech, so now I've got both over there. Um, but I've had techs who just can barely hold down a chord, but they will soup your rig up and make you sound like a god just by tweaking knobs and stuff. So everybody, techs are an interesting breed. <laughs> <laughs> Say the least. You know, one of the things you you mentioned just a minute ago was you talked about Iranian violin music. And the reason I bring that up is because have you always paid attention to such a variety of of sounds and instruments? Like some guys will pay attention to horn players or string players you can hear that in their music of course has that been something that's always been a part of who you are that's been a huge part of my musical education so to speak uh, i don't really listen to so much of the exotic stuff like i'm not gonna have dinner and listen to like some kind of saudi arabian prayer chant thing but if I were to hear such a thing and hear a passage in there that was interesting, I would stop and I would make a memo and I would learn that passage, analyze it, learn why I liked it and make that thing that I learned a new part of my playing. And that's going to branch me off into a whole new bunch of motifs, a whole new bunch of phrases and stuff. So I'm always, especially now, the more I play, the more I even am in tune to that. If I hear a little melody being in a, even in a restaurant, it happens in Indian restaurants all the time. You'll hear like an unusual group of notes. I've never played that sequence of notes before. So what is he doing? Then I quickly, you know, my ear's pretty fast by this point so I could figure it out and then I'll write it down and then I'll come home and try to play it. And um, that, just being in tune to that stuff is very important to me, but I don't really sit around and listen to it. Yeah. That foreign stuff is very much a part of my education and growth, but listening-wise, it's it's not something I would listen to. Yeah, I find that just absolutely fascinating. I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, that speaks that speaks uh, an, an immense passion for music. For you, you know what I mean. 
you, you exuberate it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Just by sitting here talking with you, you know, I can tell that you love music playing. I mean, immensely. Well, I appreciate hearing that. It's very nice to hear. Um, I, I do love ver music very much, but to me, it's just as normal as brushing your teeth. I guess maybe because I've been doing it for a long time, but I, shouldn't every musician's responsibility be, if you hear something anywhere that resounds with you, shouldn't your responsibility be to like learn what the hell it is? Because that's how you define yourself as an artist. It's all the things that appealed to you stuck inside and then you learn them and then you interpret them from having that education. A lot of, uh, I think uh, you could, if you miss out on those things, you're missing out on your identity. I mean, it's very, not easy, but the simplest way to become a good musician is to learn a bunch of hard shit and play it. <laughs> I mean, but what does that do for, what does that say about what the music is inside of you? You got to choose that. I might hear 16 hours of Indian music, but one little two bar phrase is going to stick out. And I'm like, oh, I love that. What was that? That two bar phrase is going to become part of my identity. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I would assume that it's a responsibility that uh, anyone who intends to create music they're probably doing it without knowing it, but like I consciously do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so, so the so album, you know, uh, do you plan, on, plan on touring the United, United States with the album when things open up? Uh, I was when things open up. Definitely, I had a tour planned before the whole thing shut down. Um, and I had a. Uh, just luckily, I got a tour in Australia and I played a festival in India just before everything happened. So I'm glad I got those under the belt. And I have a tour coming up in April for all of Japan, which is looks to be a big green light right now. But uh, as soon as I can play elsewhere, I'm there because uh, there's absolutely nothing I want to do more than play live. And um, as soon as that's a reality, I'm there, especially America. Yeah. So, 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 do you find it that it's your purpose? Because I think this is what you said earlier. Your purpose by going around all these different places around the world is you just really want to expose people to that music. Yeah, I, I want to expose people to the music that I love, um, which I've kind of amped up in my own way. But I want to expose them to that. And like I was saying before, I mean, you know. When I get to go to other countries, I am exposed myself to other music. I, I remember this one time I was in a, in a taxi and there was just the weirdest music going on from, you know, the taxi drivers from some country. I have no idea where he's from. Um, the music, I have no idea where he's from. And I said, I love this music. What is it? Guy took a cassette tape out of the deck and he gave me the cassette. And the writing was in, had no idea what the writing was, never found out, but I learned a whole bunch of stuff off this cassette. And those are the things that, that happen, you know, fun things that happen when, when you go to different countries and things like that. Well, I find your music fascinating. I find your playing amazing, of course. You know, you're Thank an amazing you. player. I, I'll, tell I, I'll tell you what, I talk to, I talk guitar, to guitar players, players all over the world. 
a lot unknown and and known and everybody that I come across loves your plan. I haven't found anybody that goes, wow, that guy's not very good. <laughs> that's nice to hear. I'm sure those guys exist, and, and that's fine, too. I think there's one in Argentina. I'm trying to hunt him down, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I tell you what, Marty, I appreciate the time you've given me. Oh, my pleasure. It's been a, been a joy. Yeah, your album's fantastic. I wish you all the best and success, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, uh, I hope you come to Chicago. Yeah, it's one of my favorite places to be. Get a nice Chicago beef in there. And uh, they don't have that in Japan. All right, so there you go. Marty Friedman joining me on Guitar Talk. I tell you what, he not only knows guitars, but he knows good Chicago Italian beef, right? I mean, there's some damn good you know, beef in Chicago for sure, man. Marty Friedman, the name of the album is... Uh, Tokyo Jukebox 3. It is out now. You definitely want to check it out. Also check out his guitars uh, at Jackson. You know, really nice guitars for sure. And Ed, I want to thank him for being a part of the program. Uh, make sure you go to MartyFriedman.com for all the information on where he's touring and what's going on in his world. All right, so uh, next Wednesday on the 14th, my guest is going to be Larry Mitchell. Larry Mitchell played guitar for Rick Ocasek of The Cars, Billy Squire, and a ton of other people. A truly great guitar player. He does a live stream on Facebook on Thursday nights and an acoustic live stream on Facebook on Sunday nights at Larry Mitchell. So you want to check that out. He will be uh, right here with us on Guitar Talk on the 14th of April. Until then, I'm Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time. <laughs>